The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. I want you to imagine with me, okay? I want you to imagine that you are in your car and uh, you've decided I am going to listen to some tunes in the car and I really want uh, to have an uplifting time in my car ride. Uh, again, I'll let you imagine a little bit more. Uh, you have four kids all under the age of 10 and uh, they've listened to Frozen way too much. I'm realizing that uh, I'm making your imagination my own reality. Uh, but they're you're just like, I want to listen to something else in the car. So you decide I'm going to listen to the Christian radio station. And you, you know, you guys are all now together singing in the car, some Christian songs and you're enjoying it. And you hear the tagline for the Christian radio station. You know, this is positive, encouraging, great, wholesome kind of family radio. And you're like, yes, it is. This is great. We're all singing Christian songs together. We're loving each other. The car ride is enjoyable. This is awesome. And then on the radio, they say, today's reading is from Nahum chapter 1. You're like, man, I haven't really heard from Nahum before. So I am ready to hear some positive, encouraging, uplifting stuff for my family right now. And it, it, here's Nahum from Nahum chapter 1. And it's the nice, bubbly voice. The Lord is jealous and an avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? And you're realizing as much as they're saying that positive spin on it, this is a harsh word. And you're like, what? I thought I was listening to positive, encouraging radio. And now I hear about God being vengeful? about him having indignation, about his heat of anger. This is not the Christian positive radio I wanted for my family. What is this? I'm going to make this argument to you this morning. What if the mercy and love of God is shown through his wrath and his justice? What if The mercy and love of God is shown through his wrath and justice. I think we're going to find that this is the case as we look at this first chapter of this book that's many times not read on Christian radio, probably not preached very often, the book of Nahum. It's on page 782 in your pew Bibles. I encourage you to look to it with me. The Minor Prophets is, are very poetic, and uh, sometimes it's hard for people to concentrate on the poetry when they're just looking at the words. Feel free, if you want to close your eyes while we read this, and maybe just picture the kind of the poetry that the prophet is bringing in talking about this scene and scenario, Nahum 1. It's going to be a little bit of a longer reading. Let's read it together here. An oracle. Concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger 
and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. And the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. And will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns. Like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble. Fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord. A worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord. Though they are full at, at full strength and many. They will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show your love through your justice to us this morning. And God, I pray that we would see how you care for us. How you are for us through what you do to places like Nineveh. Just pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Oh, man, what is this guy doing this morning? I mean, Nahum? What? I mean, why has he made this crazy decision to preach Nahum, especially at the beginning of Advent? Is he just like a fight? I mean, is it the football game thing? Is that what he's trying to get into right now? No. I don't even remember this, but you guys went through the book of Jonah earlier before you were in Philippians. And this book is talking again about that city that Jonah was talking about, the city of Nineveh. I thought I would close the chapter for you guys and show you what happens to the city of Nineveh, which Nahum talks about. Kind of the conclusion of the book of Jonah. So that's one. Two is Dan Jackson and I conspire together to play good cop and bad cop. Okay, that's right, right? So he's the good cop and I'm the bad cop. So I come with the harsh messages to his church and he does the same to mine, right? Is that how it works? No. It's not. In fact, we are trying to talk about the full character of God. God's character is shown both in his justice and his mercy. And I don't think they're divided, but they're the same. And so I'm not just bad cop Dan Breed this morning and Dan Jackson's good cop. We are reading the Bible and we're seeing the full character of God through 
his word. Now, if you remember, you, if you can remember back to when you were in the book of Jonah, Jonah was not a very uh, happy guy, was he? He was pretty mad at God. He was mad at God not because of his vengeance. No, he was mad at God because of his compassion. His compassion and love for this nation, this city, Nineveh, and this great nation called Assyria. A nation that was barbaric and fierce. A nation where the art that was shown is one of beheadings, one of murder, one of warfare. That is the nation of Assyria. And here Jonah wanted God to bring justice upon this nation. Especially as their power was becoming less, as Israel was expanding. And here Jonah said, it's about time for Assyria to be brought down. But instead, Assyria repents. And they go to God saying, God, we are wrong. And God relents in his anger towards them and shows them love and compassion. A passage that's repeated again here in Nahum. A passage repeated throughout Scripture. And Nineveh turns to God. It does not perish. But now we have a different picture. A hundred years have passed. And now a new prophet has come. Not from the northern part, Israel, but from the southern part, Judah. We know it comes from the southern part of Judah because what has happened is Assyria has basically obliterated Israel and the ten tribes of the north. In fact, Assyria had a pattern. What they would do is they would come into a nation. They would take the people from the nation. They would take them to their own place. And then they would put new people into the nation. So that is what happened to Israel. And here, Nahum understands the brutality of Assyria because they've already attacked 50 cities of the southern kingdom, Judah, and destroyed them. And here we have a picture of the greatest empire that the world has ever seen in Assyria. Already, they have gone down to Thebes, a great nation in Egypt. And they destroyed it themselves. And what they've done is they've had Israel become their vassal. A nation that they took control of in Judah. And said, you know what? You're going to help us in attacking Egypt. And that's what Judah did. Because their fear that if they did not side with Assyria. That they would be destroyed themselves. And so that is what Nahum is writing in. And so here is a nation Assyria. The ruler of nations. Their king is the king of kings. And here Nahum says, at the height of the power of Assyria, where Nineveh is the capital city, he is saying, wrath is going to come upon you. Talk about a crazy thing to do for a prophet. This is insane. Okay, first of all, Nahum from Judah, a nation that sided with Assyria, is now speaking against Assyria, saying, your wrath will come at the height of its power, this huge empire. And he says, you will become nothing. In fact, people will not even remember you. What is Nahum doing? It's a death wish. But please see with me verse three. Look with me here. The Lord is slow to anger 
and great in power. That's the first part. I, I don't even know this. If you ever read stories of Moses and him seeing God and then David in the Psalms, this is a creed that Israel repeats over and over again. The nature of who God is. And in the Psalms and, and uh, when God reveals himself to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. And that is what Jonah said. But here we sometimes forget in our songs, we sometimes sing songs of that creed, that there is a second part of that creedal statement. The second part is repeated here in the second part in here in verse three. And it says this, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. You see, the character of God is his loving kindness, but also the character of God is his justice and judgment for those who are guilty. This great nation of Assyria, this great power, they will come to an end. They will no longer be for their brutality, for their just, I mean, I could go on with stories about what Assyria would do to nations. If you look at ISIS today, you would see just kind of a glimpse of what Assyria is like back then. I know I got some historians here. Maybe some people like history in class. You all had to take some history when you were growing up. So we're going to try your history knowledge, okay? Um, bear with me here, okay? So I want to see how many of you guys know the name of Aruna Benapal. In Aruna Benapal, anyone? Oh, look, at there's one. There you go. There is an historian right there. How about Sennacherib? How about that? You guys have been taught that name a lot? And There's just a couple. That's good. The truth is, you probably didn't know those names from the history books, but you knew them from the Bible. These are the great kings of Assyria, right? Shouldn't their names be known now? These great kings that ruled and that were in power, shouldn't they be names that we just know at the tip of our tongues? No, they're not. In fact, Nahum was right about what happened. You know, in fact, just 300 years later, the Greeks didn't even write about the great city of Nineveh because no one even knew it existed because it had been wiped from the face of the earth. <laughs> you know, in fact, it wasn't until the 19th century by archaeologists looking at biblical records that they went to what is now Nineveh and dug and uncovered the great city of Nineveh. Because there was nothing left. In fact, historians thought it never existed. And the Bible made it up until the 19th century when they actually found it. 30 years it took from Nahum writing about the destruction of Assyria until it actually happened. Where the city was burnt to the ground and where its very kings were no longer known. You see, God comes. He comes, as it says, in a whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. 
I don't know if you guys have been to Colorado, but when you go to Colorado, the one thing that people take you on is uh, to climb a 14er, which is a 14,000-foot peak. And uh, it's ritual. You have to do it early in the morning. The reason you have to do it early in the morning is because uh, the clouds roll in about 1130 and noon. Okay? And they roll in from the west. And usually when you're in Colorado, you're going up the peak from the east. And so you see it's a beautiful day. And you're looking up, but there's no clouds, there's nothing. You should always in the morning, it's just clear. And you're climbing, and it's great. And then when you get to the peak, you see the clouds rolling in. And it is scary, okay? Especially when you're at the top, and the clouds and the lightning are coming. And there's times where the hair will literally stand on end, because you know the lightning is going to hit. I think this is a picture in a painting that Nahum goes for us when he paints this picture of what's going to happen to these nations. Here, Nineveh, Assyria, they are just looking up. It's clear. It's fine. There's no problem. We will climb to the peak. We're able to conquer things ourselves, not knowing that the storm cloud is coming. Judgment is coming for them. And as much as they think, oh, I can climb a 14-year, I can go to the heights of power, I am able to do things my own, and then when I get there, I see I am nothing because this storm is going to knock me right off if I don't get back down. That is the picture of what is happening to this nation of Assyria. You know, I hope you guys, you guys don't do that in yourself, do you? So I'm going to conquer life myself. I'm not going to look up at the storm cloud that might be coming. I'm just going to go away, go along and pound at life. Keep going in the way that I'm going. Nothing is coming after me. No matter actions I take, no matter what I do. And I think what happens is we see a nation's doing that here in the Bible But the truth is, we have transferred the power of nations to the powers of individuals today. It says, I can do anything on my own. I mean, I only have to listen to a little bit of Tony Robbins and realize that the power is within, right? (laughs) I only have to look at his grinning smile and realize that if I just am positive, I can do anything I want to do. But the truth is, can God come after you? Do you really control your life? Do you really have your own self-power and self-will to be able to combat anything that comes your way? Or can the storm cloud come? Oh man, so serious. He's so serious. I knew this would happen. A guest preacher would come in You know, and he would tell me, judgment is coming for me. Wrath is coming. You better watch out. The storm cloud is coming for your life. I knew that was going to happen. And he's got to preach it sometime. And here is what he has done. He has done that. I think many of us think this is the way that God functions. He's here to stand for human purposes. He's to love, not to bring fire. And God respects human rights, right? He's not for death and all this wrath business. 
No, that's not the character of who God is. If you're going to hear anything I say this morning, please hear this. What if wrath and judgment is an aspect of God's love? In fact, without God's wrath, he is simply not loving. Because if a God who fails to do anything about evil and to rectify those that come against us and those that do horrendous things is a deficient God and a God that truly does not love. And what if I said this? The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. And here what Nahum is saying is we, not ha- we do not have a God of indifference. We have a God that stands against the things that are wrong. Look at me again. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Okay. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. You know, when we look at that and we sung about that a little bit earlier today and we saw the idea of God being jealous, that can really shock a lot of people. That's not a character trait I want of my God, a God that's jealous. But the thing is, when God is jealous, it's different than our jealousy. You see, our jealousy many times is for things that are not ours. We want them. The thing is, God has a right to be jealous because he is after our world. He is after us because he has a right to them. (laughs) He made them. He made us. He made this world. John Stott says this when we look at this idea of vengeance and jealousy. He makes this statement. It does not mean that he is likely to fly off the handle at the most trivial provocation. Still less that he loses his temper for no apparent reason at all. For there is nothing capricious or arbitrary about the holy God. Nor is he ever malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. His anger is neither mysterious nor rational. It is never unpredictable, but always predictable. Because it is provoked by evil. And by evil alone. You see, when God sees the world acting in a way different than the way he created and it is supposed to be. He says, this is contrary to the way that I want it to be. And contrary to my very nature, I want to spit it out. I cannot even have this. And he will say, I want it to be different. And when he looks at what Nineveh is doing and what Assyria is doing in oppressing people, in beheading people, in killing people, he says, this is not the way my world is supposed to be. It is needs to be different. That is the jealousy of God. One that wants to right the wrongs. One that wants to bring judgment against those that do us wrong. You know, C.S. Lewis, um, in becoming a Christian, one of the very things uh, in his coming to faith was this idea of the world being a certain way had to be just. And he said this, he said, you know, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? 
A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You see, Lewis is saying there is a way that we see in our minds, the way that we want the world to be, the way that rights, wrong should be made right. And he says this is the very thing that makes us see there's a God that wrongs what is wrong and makes it right and brings justice against it. And that is the question that Judah is asking. Look in verse 7 with me. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. If you look at the NIV, they do a great job of um, it kind of bounces back and forth from verse 7 all the way to verse 15 about looking at it goes from Assyria to Judah, Assyria to Judah. And Judah is asking the question, God, are you a one that can come against this nation of Assyria? Are you the one that has power to bring judgment against this ruler of rulers, the king of kings? Are you able even to do those things? And Judah is asking those very questions of the nature of God. Will you be for us? Will you help us with this nation that is coming against us? Listen, I, I find this to be the case. On Sunday mornings, we don't like the case of looking at God as one that is vengeful and can bring justice and um, bring his wrath against those that do wrong. On Sunday mornings, we're not okay with that. But on Friday night and Saturday night when we watch movies, we love it, don't we? (laughs) We love those that bring justice. We love those that have that power to do that kind of thing. I mean, I'm going to try to do my best Liam Neeson, you know, um, deep Irish accent for you guys. I probably can't do it as well as some of you. But, you know, this is a guy in character we love, right? In this movie, Taken. And this is what he says, right? He says this, I have acquired over a very long career skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. I remember remember seeing this movie Taken. Has anyone seen this movie Taken? Anyone seen this? But you see this movie, you cheer him afterwards, don't you? You go, yes, go after your daughter, go after the bad guys, do it. What if Liam Neeson just made that phone, just was on the phone and made that call and just didn't do anything about it? He just said it and then hung up. We would go, that is not a very strong character. That is not one we can get behind. But one that says, I will come after you. I will seek justice for when you harm my family, when you harm those that are ones that are under my care. We say, yes. You know, in the United States, we take this for granted. We're a nation of laws and a nation of justice. When those that do wrong, we try to bring them under the court system, imprison them, whatever we do, we try to bring justice to the situation. You know, there are nations that don't always live by the rule of law. There was a case just a few weeks ago, and uh, it was in Mexico, Iguala, Mexico, to be um, exact. 
And there was a lady that was running for mayor. And uh, she had come to power because her family was in drug money. And uh, they gave her money to uh, basically run for mayor and control the town. Drug money controlled the town. Many, many beheadings happened in the town for those that stood against the cartels. And it was a night that this woman who uh, was celebrating her running for mayor was in a pink dress and dancing. And she got news from some people. You know, 43 students have come in from outside to this town of Iguala and protesting the way that you have come to power through drug money. And she told her advisors and the police that were paid off um, from this drug money, get rid of them. While she was dancing and celebrating in a pink dress, get rid of them. And what did they do? 43 students, they murdered and killed. And not just till a week ago did we realize that they were not just kidnapped, they were put to death. And why do I share a story like that? Because it goes, we want justice. How can a woman from drug money, from power, do such a thing? There needs to be something against that. There needs to be some way that she is brought to her knees for what she has done. We are people inside of us that say there needs to be justice for wrongdoing. There needs to be someone that brings against those people that do such things. Do you believe God can? Do you believe God can right wrongs? Do you believe God can bring justice to those that are in power in wrong ways? Those that maybe have hurt you through their power? Maybe parents. Maybe people at work. Maybe friends. I don't know. I don't know what kind of situations in case you've been. But do you live on the reality that we have a God that can bring justice to this world? Do you live in that reality? I'm afraid that many of us don't. And we don't live that reality and we live this way. We believe that there is not a God that can bring rights to wrongs. And many of us live with a chip on our shoulder of those that have done those things. We're bitter. We think about those that have done us wrongly. And we think, how am I going to get back to this back at this person? How am I going to show him I am or her that I can be what they don't think I can be? How can I say that zinger to them in the right place in the workplace? How can I finally just just do something to them to get back at what they have done to me? And many times we don't even do anything back to these people, but we live a life of bitterness. And it does consume us. Because we think there's not a God that will bring justice to this world and those that have done us wrong. Maybe you're a kind of person that goes the other way that's not an attacker, but maybe just one that surrenders and says this, you know what? There is no God that really controls this place. 
There's no God that's going to bring justice to people that have done me wrong. I might as well give up. You know, I've been beaten down enough in life. I've been bruised. I've been battered. You know what? Might as well just give up. This is why verse 13 is so powerful. For the nation of Judah, for the nation of Israel, says this, and now I will break his yoke from off you and I will burst your bonds apart. Our God is a God that just has not let things go. He is a God that has entered this world that brings justice to those things that need justice, that rights wrongs. He is the one that can be able to not just say, I'm going to pronounce judgment on people. He is one that is going to execute that judgment. If we believe in a loving God, a powerful God, we should not just see that he is one that hugs us and embraces us. That is true. But he's also one that comes after those that do us wrong, that comes after those that hurt us. That is one that comes after the injustice in this place. That comes after the mayor in, in Mexico and says, no, this cannot be. I will come. And I will write what you have done that is wrong. Uh, I had a roommate in college for four years, and he was an atheist, and we had a great time. All four years, we were in, in room together. And uh, he would hear my arguments. We would go back and forth about Christianity. And uh, I always have him in the audience with me, right, when I give a sermon. And maybe you are that person this morning. Maybe you're, you love Bill Maher. I watch Bill Maher sometimes. He makes great arguments against Christianity, and I like to engage some of the arguments. Maybe you have some issues with this. I don't know if I can believe in Christianity. This is a God like that. You know, this is a God that um, we, you guys talk about. It sounds like a God in over Islam and those kind of nations, one that brings vengeance and power and those things. You know, I don't know if I can follow a God like that. I want to make a few things clear and Bill Maher has made this argument, and maybe some of your friends have made this argument against you. It says, that, you know what, the God of Christianity is the same as the God of Islam. You know, the truth is the only reason that Christianity is different is because we've experienced the Enlightenment, unlike a lot of um, civilizations in the Middle East. So that's the only reason we believe in this fluffy, okay God, right? That's the only reason that you just omit some of these passages like Nahum. Please hear me. God, the God that we worship, is different than the God of Allah. Okay? And I, I want to point out some differences here. Now, I'm not bashing Islam, okay? I live with a Muslim family for four months in eastern Kenya, okay? But I can say to them, you're wrong, okay? You're wrong. And I can say this and sit with this man that I live with. This is why I disagree with you. It's because this... Scripture says that, this, that God is the one that pours out vengeance, not us. Not us controlling the state and doing that. God uses the state to do that. But it is God is the one that really is the one that is to pour out vengeance. That's one. That is different than Islam. Two, God does not take sides. 
He does not take sides and say, oh, I only stand with Israel. I don't stand with others. In fact, he goes after Israel when they do things that are unjust. He brings his judgment even against his own people. He doesn't take sides. And this is very important. That if we believe that God is the one that doles out the justice that makes it happen, then we don't try taking it in our own hands to try to make people um, finally come to the place where we feel like they finally serve the punishment they, we think they deserve. This is really key. You know, I would say if I sat down with Bill Maher or my roommate and you say, if you take religion out of culture, then you think everything will be okay. We've tried that, haven't we? <laughs> in the 20th century, communism tried to do that. And they tried to take justice into their own hands. And when the state tries to take justice in its own hands to the greatest degree when people do wrong, they kill exorbitantly. In fact, that nation is one that killed more than any other nation in the 20th century. A state that was not run, one that was a secular state. I don't know. Maybe you have those questions. Maybe you don't. But maybe people that you are with or around have those questions. I hope that you would engage them in those. That you would talk to them about these maybe doubts that they have about Christianity because of that. Let me land the plane. You remember when Liam Neeson is on the phone. And uh, he talks to this guy. And uh, this guy that captured his daughter. You remember what the guy says back to Liam Neeson after his speech? Good luck. Right? Good luck. You know what? I think that's a statement that we say to God many times. I know it's one that I say. Good luck, God. Good luck. You can really find out what I've done. You really know my actions. You really know my heart. Good luck coming after me. Please hear me. God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your actions. He is one that will bring justice to this world. Not just in nations, but in your actions and what you have done. But many of us say that same thing to God. Good luck. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is this. That God did not just come after us for what we deserved. He poured out his wrath. Yeah, he did. He poured his wrath and his justice upon himself, upon his son. It's, not, it's just mind-boggling to me. When I say good luck to him, when I disobey him, he still seeks out his justice when I do wrong. When someone does wrong, when nations do wrong, he still seeks out his justice, but not in the greatest degree where he can, because if he did, we would all die. But instead, he seeks upon his son that did die for us. You see, on the cross, 
Love is shown in his wrath. God is loving us by pouring out his wrath on his son and his justice upon him. And that is what brings us forgiveness. Will you do that? Will you cling to the one that will bring you hope and love? Will you cling to Christ who took the wrath of God himself so that we would not be cursed, that we would not be accused, that we would be called sons and daughters of God? And I would hope that you would see that our God does seek justice. He does come after those that are wrong. But he doesn't do it to the fullest degree upon us. But he does it upon his son so that we might have life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be able to read the minor prophets and not run away from them. But that when we see your vengeance and your anger, that we would not see one that is not loving, but we would see you as loving in that. And now we would see we have a God that comes after the wrongs in this world. A God that comes after those that think that they can live their own way. Nations that think they can live their own way. And you are the one that will make this world right. And you have through your son. In his name we pray. Amen.